The following is a presentation made at the 2022 Transcending the Israel Lobby at Home and Abroad Conference held on March 4 at the National Press Club. Hello. I know you are enjoying conversing, talking to friends, meeting new people, but we um, twisted Huweda Araf's arm to give you um, a couple minutes of her time and... um, She's spoken at two conferences before. We didn't know she was available this time. Sometimes she has a baby in her arms or other things going on. But this time she's coming alone to tell you what she's up to. And she's running for office. And and let her tell you, tell us all why. Okay. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. It is, as usual, a great honor and pleasure to be here with such committed activists. On top of everything else that you do in your daily lives, you are active on human rights issues, and specifically one of the most defining justice issue of our day. So it is my honor to just be amongst you and an extra honor to be asked to share a few words. So I am a long-time Palestinian human rights activist. I'm a civil rights attorney, and now I am running for U.S. Congress. I am... I am the proud daughter of Palestinian immigrants who made their way to this country when my mom was nine months pregnant with me. And now I'm the oldest of five children. They left behind everything that they knew in Palestine... They weren't kicked out. My father's village is still there, inside 48, so he's a citizen of the state of Israel. But of course, as you all know, not equal at all. We're a demographic threat to the state of Israel. And then my mom is from the West Bank town of Beit Zahod, which is under Israeli military occupation. And the situation today in all of occupied Palestine is as bad as it has ever been. But back then, my parents decided to leave because they knew that we wouldn't have or their future children, the baby, me, in my mom's belly, would not have a chance to know freedom and opportunity if they had stayed. My father found a union job in Michigan working with General Motors, and he worked hard every single day of his life to give us that freedom and opportunity. We didn't have a lot growing up, but we weren't in want of anything. And I had what I believe was one of the most valuable things a person, a child, could have. And that is the belief that they could be or do anything. I remember we used to go back to Palestine when I was young. And I was so proud to be an American. I would show off. I would brag to my cousins, and I'm an American. And I had my little flag, and I would tell them how one day I was going to be the president of the greatest country ever. And then I had a rude awakening. At the age of five, I was in Beit Zahur at my favorite aunt's house and excited, excited to be going to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem and wanting my aunt to come with us. 
And she just kept saying she couldn't go. Only 15 minutes away. But of course, at the age of five, I didn't know why she couldn't go. And I was saying, please, you have to come. It's so great. And then she said, it's because of Reagan and your America that I can't go. And I was stunned, like shattered, standing there with tears in my eyes. What do you mean, my America? And as I grew older, I came to realize that, yes, the country that I was so proud of, the country that stands for freedom, democracy, human rights, shining a light onto the world, that is not what our policies do. Not just in Palestine, but in so many countries, and right here at home. When I graduated from college, I decided to go over to Palestine because I knew that I had opportunity because of what my parents were able to do. But so many people and so many Palestinians don't have the same. I wanted to give back in any way that I could. I felt I had a responsibility, and I went over to Palestine to originally work for a U.S.-based organization that was supposed to deal in conflict resolution, and then the Palestinian Intifada broke out the second Intifada in 2000. And if some of you remember, thousands of Palestinians were taken to the streets in protests, largely unarmed men, women, children, and I was marching with them, marching with them to say, I mean, yes, we want peace, but there's got to be justice first. There's got to be an end to the colonization first. We've been in a peace process for over seven years, and Israel has expanded its colonization, its theft of our land, while the world tells us to wait. We're done with this facade. We want our freedom. Marching in the streets, and the Israeli military, one of the most powerful militaries in the world, just coming at us with full force and, and opening fire in what the world was saying is, Palestinian violence, we walked away from the negotiating table and just showing Israel trying to control Palestinian violence. Well, within one month, 127 Palestinians were shot dead, mainly from bullet wounds to the chest and head area, according to Israeli journalist Amir Haas. So it wasn't that the Israelis were just trying to control you know, Palestinian riots, if you want to call them riots. No, they were shooting to kill. And so after a month of these protests, these men, women, and children marching in the street, that, that died down. And it wasn't because Palestinians were afraid to sacrifice or no longer willing to die for their freedom. No. It was because of what was happening, and they realized the larger scale. Not only were we being shot dead in the streets, but nobody was holding Israel accountable. Certainly the mainstream media wasn't reporting on it the way they're reporting on Ukraine today. And it was the Palestinians' fault for jumping in front of Israeli bullets and walking away from the peace table. Yasser Arafat going back to his terrorist roots, Palestinians showing that they just want to throw the Jews into the sea. All of that that we hear over and over and over again in a way to dehumanize Palestinians. But that was the situation. What do I do? Is this like young, naive, just graduated from college, need to be able to do something. And I ended up co-founding the International Solidarity Movement. Many of you know, some people, uh, Radhika, who will be speaking to you today, I know is one who came with us and probably some others here. In a way to globalize the Palestinian struggle for freedom, to tell the world, to help tell the world what Palestinians are struggling for, to help change the way the mainstream media was reporting, to report word of mouth, to try to provide some protective accompaniment. And some of you know that we had our members 
couple of our members uh, also killed our international volunteers for daring to do that. And one of the most important things I think that international solidarity in that way did was to provide Palestinians with a sense of hope that they weren't alone, that somebody, not maybe not the mainstream media, maybe not the governments, but somebody cared. And somebody who could travel would go back to try to spread the word about what was happening. And now there are thousands upon thousands of, of ISM volunteers around the world doing work in their own home countries, BDS campaigns, occupying Elbit, uh, to change the policies of the governments that are allowing Israel to sustain its crimes in Palestine. I'm not standing in front of Israeli soldiers anymore. I'm not on a boat sailing to Gaza anymore, as we did to try to challenge Israel's navy enclosure. I'm now living back in the district where I was raised, raising my own two young kids, because Israel doesn't allow my husband to get into Palestine. Actually, Grant, if some of you were here last night, mentioned that my husband was one of the first speakers that they had at their first conference back in 2002. If I'm going to just digress a little bit, in 2002, Israel had reinvaded all Palestinian cities, and my husband and I and other ISM volunteers were scrambling to, to try to help ambulances to try to block the military. We put internationals in Yasser Arafat's compound. We put internationals in the Church of the Nativity to, to try to stop the violence by drawing more international attention to what was happening and, and Adam got an invitation to come speak in Washington. We weren't married then. We were scheduled to be married. And, uh, and he was telling me he got this invitation to come speak on Capitol Hill. And I said, go. You have to tell people what's happening. We didn't really have social media back then. And we knew the mainstream media wasn't reporting right. I'm like, you have to go and tell them what's happening. And he pulled me aside. He said, I don't want to go. And I was like, you have to go. Why? What? And he, we were literally scheduled to be married the, the next month. And he said, because I don't believe that you're going to follow me. I'm like, I am not going to stand you up at the altar. Just go and do what you have to do, and I'll be there. But you know what? Two weeks before I was scheduled to get married, I was arrested for, putting, for helping a bit get uh, volunteers into the Church of the Nativity. And, um, and I wouldn't leave because Israel wanted to deport me, and I refused. So I was arrested, and I started thinking, ah, shoot, I might actually stand him up at the altar. <laughs> Um, anyway, that worked itself out. So we are raising our kids now back in Michigan. I was working as a civil rights attorney in Detroit. And like so many people, I had to leave the workforce to help homeschool our kids. And when it came time for me to think about going back to work, I was looking at the state of our country. Sure, I could go back to the courtroom and fight for people's civil rights, but when the laws being legislated are rolling our civil rights back instead of expanding them, there's got to be something more that I could do. The woman currently representing us in Congress is horrible and has not failed to vote against every single piece of legislation that could help working families in our district. In addition, she is constantly very divisive in all of her statements and so I thought, we need more good people in Congress making laws, people that care about people. And so I'm going to challenge her. And what makes me qualified to challenge her? I've never run for office before. I spent a long time fighting for Palestinian human rights. But also around me, 
my neighbors in Macomb, Michigan, there are human rights violations being committed every single day. It's not the same that what, what I saw in Palestine, for sure. But just two weeks ago, my kids and I did a walk for warmth because so many of our neighbors can't afford to heat their homes in Michigan winters. When you have to decide between putting food on the table and heating your home, you are not free. When you send your kids to school and don't know if they're going to be coming home because legislators are too afraid to pass gun safety laws, you are not free. When you have to ration your medications, when you are afraid to go to the hospital because you can't afford the hospital bill, you are being denied. You are not free. So my qualification to run for Congress is that I have fought for human rights for most of my adult life, and I believe in putting people at the center of our policy, whether foreign or right here at home. That's what we need to be doing. And that's what we are not doing. We have a small number of legislators that do do that, that aren't beholden to the big corporations, the big money, and the special interests that pour millions and millions of dollars to control the way that this country is run and what interests we elevate and what interests we trample on. Thank you. And it is not, I mean, it's not easy. Yes, I'm prepared for the attacks. They're going to come. They're going to say what they usually say, that Palestinians are terrorists and this and that, what I've done. And it's, and one of the hardest parts is that it takes so much money and it's going to take so much more to fight these. And that's all I hear every single day is how much did you raise? How much call time are you doing? How many people are, that's not what running for office should be. I should be out there instead of spending four and six hours on the phone asking people for money, I should be out there talking to the people that I want to represent. Right? But that is the messed up state of our campaign finance system, which controls not only how candidates run, but when you actually get into office, what legislation is put forth, how it's voted on. It's controlled by who is writing the big checks. We all know that this is nothing new. But let me tell you what else I'm facing. I mean, people are saying, oh, it's brave that you're running for Congress and being that I am Palestinian and that I do expect these attacks to come. I just had, just two weeks ago, I had a long conversation with a longtime member of the, of the party and he was saying, are you sure they're going to drag your name through the mud? They're going to try to, they're going to ruin everything that you've, you know, worked for. I said, I'm ready for these attacks. The time has certainly come. And I do believe that up against those forces that will come in with their millions to smear and slander me and the work that I've done, up against that, we have an army here and around the country. And if you stand with me, you stand with me, I am prepared. I am prepared, and I believe that we can win. But there are also, from our own our own, I'd say that those that, you know, say that they support uh, Palestinian rights or say that they support um, more diversity, that they support people of color, that they support women's rights. When I was running originally, when I declared that I was running against my current representative, the district was very Republican. All right. So they needed somebody like me who was energetic and who would be able to 
raise money and go challenge this Republican, but they didn't really think that I would win, so it was, sure, big support of me. Doesn't matter that I was Palestinian, right? But then redistricting happened, and I got drawn into a district that's 50-50, right? And there's no sitting incumbent. So much more likely that I could actually win. Now I'm hearing, oh, we don't know if this district is ready for someone like you. Uh, And they expected that I would agree and drop out of the race. And I said... In 2022, we're not talking about electability politics. Don't tell me that you support diversity and because I'm a woman of color or a progressive woman of color, I can't win this district. Or if you think that I can't win this district because of my past work on Palestinian rights, you should also be ashamed of yourself because it, it is the timidity, the, the fear and the corruption that is in this party in the first place that is allowing what is happening in Palestine. And so whether it is because I'm a woman of color or that I've done Palestinian rights activism, neither one of them are a reason why I am going to drop out of this race and why you, an older white man, is more qualified to run for this seat than I am. So, But it is going... It is going to be tough, but I'm telling you that I'm, I'm ready for it, and I just hope you'll stand with me. I've probably spoken a lot longer than Delinda uh, warned you I would. So let me end by just saying, the time is ripe. We've made so much progress. We've made progress because of all of the things that organizations like the Washington Report and so many others have done and the work that you have done for so long, for years and decades. So in a way, my run for Congress is standing on the shoulders of you that are here. I feel honored to be a part of the work that's being done this way, and I feel hopeful as to what we can do. I think that not only have we been laying the groundwork but we have set it up so someone like me today can not only run for Congress, but we can show them that someone like me can run for Congress and can win. And that is what we're going to do together. So thank you for the years of hard work. I know it hasn't been easy. It might not get easier, but things are, things are opening up. So Watch my election or my campaign, my race, please, if you're not following yet. Um, Google, you will see running for Michigan's 10th congressional district. I look forward to staying engaged with you and hopefully in the future to making you proud as the next Palestinian American member of Congress. Thank you.